Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas podcast. I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike. Today we're joined by Chris Bercy. He is the founder of Direct Communication Solutions. This company is a provider of Internet of Things products and services. You might ask, what is Internet of Things? Well, it's a term that generally means the coordination of sensors that sit on devices or vehicles or structures that tell you things like temperature, location, they might record sound, the amount of vibrations, but they collect all sorts of data. And it takes this data and it transmits it to some other device that collects it and aggregates it and analyzes it uh, sometimes and then gives you an output. Um, so it's a very sort of common term that's going on uh, and been, has been enabled by our Internet technology, which enables communication very easily across various different devices. Uh, sometimes they use Bluetooth. Sometimes they use uh, cellular networks. Uh, but they use all sorts of communication protocols to transfer this data back and forth. With the whole notion of being is uh, understanding what's going on with the product in some cases or collecting data to help you make better decisions. And Bela, I love IoT. That's what we call Internet of Things, IoT, Internet of Things. Um, and I, I like to give an example when I'm teaching my students about IoT uh, that I think makes it makes it kind of clear. And this is from a consumer standpoint. So what I use IoT for and why I love IoT. So in the house I used to have in New York, um, I had a number of IoT devices. I was kind of an early adopter. Um, and now a lot of us will call it smart home technology. So on the consumer side, if you see stuff that says, oh, smart home technology, a lot of that is based on this IoT, Internet of Things kind of protocol and concept. And what Chris is talking about is on the industrial scale. We'll talk about that in a minute. But just to, to kind of get a sense, I had I had these IoT devices that essentially talk to each other and they work together to try to make my life simpler and even safer. Um, so, for example, my heating and cooling system uh, was an, it was connected to an IoT thermostat. So I could control that uh, thermostat not only from inside the house, but from when I, when I was away. And, you know, I travel a lot. OK, so I could tell, well, before Corona, but I traveled a lot and will travel a lot again, I think. But I could tell what the temperature was in my house. I could turn the heat up or down if I needed to from away. And you would think, oh, why would you need that? But I'll get to that. OK, so that by itself is just kind of a gimmick. OK, I also had um, four smoke and fire and carbon monoxide alarms in my house, uh, one on each floor, basement, first floor, second floor and one in the garage. Um and those were also, I got IOT versions of this that were connected. And you might think, well, why do you need that? But if I was gone, so I lived in the middle of a forest, right? And I'm not afraid of a lot of things in this world, but one of the things that I was kind of afraid of was a forest fire at some point, right? Um, and, um, or that something in my house catches fire and then there's a forest fire and I burn down the entire neighborhood, right? So for some reason, I had this irrational fear, but having these connected smoke alarms, if the smoke alarm went off, even if I wasn't home, I got an alert immediately on my phone. Okay. Um, and they were connected. The, so if the smoke alarm went off, right, it would shut down the heating and cooling. So it wouldn't, I'd forced air. So it wouldn't blow the smoke and the flames all over the place. So now all of a sudden you start to see this is, there's a safety piece here. Okay. Um, I had water sensors on the floor of my garage. I lived near a river. 
um, and in my basement in case there was water that came in and it could tell me immediately. I had a security camera that I could use when I was gone just to see what was going on. So if the smoke alarm went off, I also had lights that were connected um, and my front door lock was all connected. And so if the smoke alarm went off, okay, first I could tell if it was one smoke alarm or all four smoke alarms or I could see if they were how how that worked. And then I could turn the light on if it was at night and I could see if there was actually smoke in the in the house. Okay, because I could turn the lights on and turn the camera on. So it was pretty cool. It could also flash the lights um, because like when my when my parents were um, still traveling and around and they would come, you know, they 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 can't they don't hear so well. They don't see so well. Right. When you get old. So it could actually flash the lights in addition to to play the the sound on the on the smoke alarm to make sure people get out. Um, If if something went off, my smoke alarm went off and it looked like a false alarm. Right. Only one went off. I didn't see any smoke. There was no, nothing else that was out of sorts. I could text one of my neighbors to say, hey, can you go check on it? And I had a lock on my front door that I could control from my phone and they could get in. Or if there was a fire, I could unlock the door um, so that the fire department get in so they didn't have to bash the door in, right? Um, so all this stuff was kind of connected. Um, and it made sure that when I wasn't home that – all my systems were working together to keep me informed of what was going on and to keep my property safe and to keep people safe. But if I was there, right, these were all things that could, that could really go. Now I could also, I didn't do this, but I could have also shared this information with my home insurance company and they were, they would give me a discount on the premiums for using this stuff. Okay. So there's actually, and there's insurance companies that will do that. If you use one of these smart fire uh, smoke alarms, right, that's connected to your HVAC or your your heating and cooling system, they'll give you a discount. So some of this pays for itself because they see that when you have this, you have less claims, right? So you can jump on things and you find things early. So this is an example then the consumer side of the Internet of Things, right, that you have these different devices. They each have a sensor, just like you said in the opening and these sensors would share data and they would talk to each other and do things automatically without me having to get involved and i could also see and monitor it and make decisions about do i need to call a neighbor do i need to come home right what do i need to do in order to kind of make sure that things are under control um we're going to talk i think today more about industrial kind of versions of this where the sensors are on trucks or in factories or on bridges or what have you and they're all talking to each other but it's the same basic idea yeah good explanation mike well, that's my lecture for the day. Sorry. Let's jump into the interview because it's much its much more interesting than what I have to say. Very good. Let's do that. Hello, folks. Today, our guest is Chris Bursey. He is the founder of Direct Communication Solutions. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Bella. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. So tell us, what does Direct Communication Solutions do? So, great question. We're a... Uh... We're a systems integrator for IoT or Internet of Things type solutions. So, you know, we really focus on a couple of areas, fleet for the telematics space and then sensors for, you know, any facility, machine, high value asset that you want to be able to track or monitor. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we harvest the big data from machines and assets and give it to our customers in a usable form that lets them, you know, efficiently and effectively run their business. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, strip that down a little bit. K- kind of if sure. you were explaining that uh, to your grandmother, how would you explain that to her? Um, let's just go get a cup of coffee, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, it's um, when you look at the IoT space in general, 
you know, it's pretty broad, broad industry, right? It means a lot of different things to different people. So when you really boil it down, you know, we focus on collecting data from assets, a device, equipment, whatever you want to monitor. And it could be in the fleet space, the refrigeration, cold chain cargo, you know, shipping any vertical within that that market. And then we take that big data, pull it from the device, and then give it back to the end users. Okay. And they can use that to, you know, make decisions on running their business. So, for example, if I had a fleet of uh, 20 trucks that uh, were, you know, delivering things to various different customers, you can help me keep track of them, uh, where they are, what they're doing, um, you know, are they we moving? Can, um, yeah, help to walk yeah, me through so, that as an example. So, you know, we can give you everything from, you know, dots on the map, where your vehicle, your asset is, all the way through the entire ecosystem, you know, so we can do dots on the map, basic tracking, geofences, you know, we can do driver behavior, vehicle diagnostics, um, add-ons or, you know, tire pressure monitoring systems, ultrasonic fuel levels, ELD, dash cams. So there's a whole different set of verticals within that vertical. And then, you know, we have a core foundation of hardware products, and then we just tailor the software side to the customer's needs and give them what they want. I see. So is there, uh, let's go, let's just stick with the truck fleet as an example. Yep. I'm just trying to help my, our listeners sort of understand this a little better. Is there some hardware that you guys then install on the truck fleets or do the cars come out of the, the trucks come out of the factory ready to go? No, pretty much on the fleet side, anything for telematics, it's all uh, aftermarket, right? So it's a, you know, when you look at an IOT solution as a whole, there are three critical components to every IOT solution. There's the hardware component that pulls the data from the asset or device or vehicle. There's the cloud-based platform aspect, which then parses that data out and you know turns it into usable data. And then there's a uh, cellular connectivity component for the airtime. So it. every IoT solution, regardless of you know what vertical or what it's doing, really at the end of the day has those three critical components to it. Very nice. So, and you said you were a systems integrator, meaning you work with various other uh, hardware and software suppliers and, and you put the whole package together uh, for the customer? Yes. So, you know, one of the things that makes us unique in the market is, you know, we're very hands-on and we engage with our customers, right? And, you know, I live by a very simple philosophy in business, especially in our business. It's listen to the customer and understand what they need to run their business more efficiently, and then also listen to them on what they want. And if we can give them what they need and then layer on and add on to what they want, it's a win-win for them. And they have a solution then that, you know, is really tailored to their business. Yes. And so. Now, is there a recurring revenue piece to this uh, business model you guys have? There is. Yeah, there is. Uh, and and uh, I once... Uh, read a book that said uh, recurring revenue is a good thing if you're in business. Uh, so talk us through that a little bit. Um, recurring revenue is really, you know, where the industry is going, right? It's providing a service on a, you know, a monthly basis almost, if you will. So, you know, there are still those three components, but, 
you know, the industry and the market is really moving towards combining all three and saying, you know, here's everything you need and you pay one price per month for it and you don't have to, you know, go out and source stuff yourself. Right. So, you know, it's a very fragmented market, to be honest with you. There's a lot of different devices, different things, different, you know, requirements companies and customers have. And we really pride ourselves and specialize in, you know, being able to go out and get the right piece of hardware for them, integrate it into the software that does what they need and provide that connectivity and provide the, you know, the bundled fully, the fully bundled package solution. Yeah. So when you're, when you're selling this to, uh, you know, doing a potential sales call to a customer, uh, do, do they sometimes push back about sort of the subscription fee? You know, do they, do they tend to, it, is, is that a positive from their perspective or is it sort of a, you know, they're thinking of their, of their internet and t- cable TV provider and they're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that's a real pain in my butt. So yeah, how- it, it, you know, great question. And the, the big difference in my opinion is, you know, the ROI that you can show those customers by adopting these IOT solutions and, you know, integrating them into your business analytics and decision-making far outweighs the, you know, the monthly cost or whatever, because you're, you know, you're able to really take action on any events or anything that your machine or assets telling you. And the, the ROI is definitely there. And that's really, you know, the big selling point is being able to show people that ROI. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, is there also an upfront capital cost that, uh, customers uh, deal with, or is it all rolled into the, to the monthly subscription fee? Um, there's, there's multiple options. You know, some people do want to have that upfront CapEx, you know, expenditure and have a low, you know, a lower monthly recurring charge. Others just, you know, send me everything and I'll pay, you know, one monthly fee for it. And, you know, we really try to accommodate everybody. Yeah. Just like my cell phone, right? I can I can buy the phone outright, or I can pay an extra twenty five bucks a month for the next two and a half years. Yeah, it's uh, it's same model. Yeah, it's and it's really the industry is really going that way just because it's easier, and the technology and the you know the innovations moving so fast that you know we can continually replace the hardware and keep upgrading people, but yeah. keep them on the same software platform. Yeah. So as a small business owner. Um, when, when you're selling these uh, products with these monthly subscriptions, uh, sometimes that impacts your cash flow because you have to make the investment in the hardware, right? So let's say one of your customers says, no, no, I don't want to do a CapEx up front. I just want to roll it into my monthly fee. But then that gives you that CapEx expense up front. So how do you, how do you sort of manage that cash flow challenge uh, in your business? You know, we do it case by case right now, to be honest with you. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, the first and foremost, a lot of the costs have come down to the point where it's, you know, it's palatable to be able to offer an OPEX model. Um, but, you know, it, it is a constraint on cash flow as a small business, right? So we have to we have to manage that and we really try to, um, you know, put the right product into those to those customers and be very, you know, very aware of how many we're taking on at one time. Right. Because after a certain point with the monthly recurring, it balances itself out. Sure. Yeah. Once you get big enough, the monthly recurring yeah. is fabulous. Yeah. Once that ball of cash is big enough, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's easier to do. Now, I imagine uh, it probably depends on, you know, where you are geographically and stuff and, and the appetite for, for banks doing business loans. But if you have a signed contract with a, a pretty good size uh, a customer 
and and you can probably you can probably leverage some of that to get a loan to help you pay for the 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 capital goods uh, up front. No, and that's true. And that you know we're uh, we're looking at those options right now as well because we see you know we see a lot of opportunity moving forward in this space for you know people to you know if you look at IoT in general, it's still in its infancy stage, right? I mean, where it's going to be in the next five, seven, ten years, it. I can't wait to see some of the stuff that you know people create and come up with. It's it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. So how long how long ago did you start Digital Communication Solutions? Uh, we started Direct Communication Solutions two thousand six, I think two thousand six. Um, started out as an embedded module distributor selling the actual core radio component that goes into a lot of these IoT solutions. Um, Moved up from there, started selling uh, finished products for GPS tracking, did very well there. And then probably two years ago, we made the uh, the decision to pivot again and, and really transform ourselves into a, a, you know, a full service SaaS company. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, what were you doing before before you founded the company? Um, so my little bit about me. So I, w- I was in the military for eight years. I was in the U.S. Navy. Um, got out of the Navy. I was a 911 dispatcher for the police department here for five years while I went to, to school and got my degree. And then I got into the IOT space in the late nineties. Um, started out with Novatel wireless, which is now in Seago worked at Kyocera, uh, Motorola, and then, you know, did the corporate thing and decided I wanted to branch out on my own and, you know, give it a shot. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is there like entrepreneurship in your family, uh, your parents, or are you sort of the, the lone wolf here on blazing off on your own? I, um, yeah, it's, um, I'm fortunate. I think, you know, I had the, I had the chance to kind of blaze my own path and learn. And I, you know, I learned a lot a lot of what I learned for business today, I learned in the military, for example, you know, and the biggest thing is, you know, just being able to deal with people, different kinds of people, different cultures, different, you know, personalities. And then more importantly, you know, that, that attention to detail. And that's one of my biggest sayings around here in my company is the details will destroy you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not paying attention and you're not watching all the details and, you know, checking all the boxes, you know, that's where the problems start and they can most of the time be avoided by yeah. just paying attention to the details. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm always interested in, in learning a little more about is <clears throat> particularly people who, who worked in, you know, corporate America, worked for another company for a period of time and then blaze off on their own. What, was there like an epiphany? I mean, were you in the shower one morning and said, this is it, I'm, I'm leaving the company, I'm going to start my own business or was it more of an evolution? Talk, talk to us a little bit about that decision-making process uh, and, and, and the steps along the way. You know, I, I don't want to offend anybody on the corporate side because I may have to deal with them in the future. But, you know, honestly, it, it was the freedom and, you know, being able to control my own destiny, right? And being able to, you know, really go out and do things that you can't do on the corporate side because of all the the paperwork and the red tape and the bureaucracy, right? So, 
you know, we really pride ourselves on being flexible, you know, and being able to pivot and, you know, go where the market's going. And we're not constrained with, you know, 10 layers of bureaucracy trying to get something done. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And uh, did you have a co-founder or did you start the business yourself? Yep. Out of my uh, spare bedroom. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. All right. Yeah, the best way. And how was that? How was the first 12 months? Uh, um, first 12 months was tough. The first five, six years was tough getting, you know, making sure, you know, bills were paid, employees were paid, everybody, you know, the business is moving forward. And, you know, it was worth it because now, you know, the company's growing. It's, you know, it's got a great future in front of it and we're in a great space and, you know, Nothing but blue skies for us right now, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Now, uh, you guys do a fair amount of stuff using cellular networks, right? I mean, that's part of the big communication backbone that you guys draw upon for these mobile assets. Uh, with 5G coming out, uh, how is that going to change it? And are they like sunsetting some of the older generations? And how 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 does that impact you? Yeah. So, the, you know, the the technology transition is happening as we speak. So, you know, the, the big carriers are going to shut off their 2G, 3G networks here pretty soon. I think one is in February next year and one is at the end of next year. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity, but it's also a challenge because when you look at it, everything that's been sold for the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, that's 2G, 3G, that's still out in the market reporting in doing its job all has to be replaced, right? So that's where, you know, that's where it gets tricky. There's a lot of supply chain issues going on in our industry right now with, you know, shortages and long lead times. But, uh, it, you know, it's it's good and it's, it's bad, but, you know, it's a great opportunity and it's really going to bring everybody up to speed. And I think, you know, by the carriers, the cellular carriers moving to the 5G technology, it's really going to, you know, boost the IOT space with the, you know, the lower bandwidth type solutions. Yeah. Right. So they're, they're going to be able to support all those handsets and smartphones and everything on the, you know, the 5G super fast side, but it frees up a lot of, you know, spectrum and, you know, opportunity for us in the IOT space with the lower, you know, one megabyte, five megabyte type offerings. Oh, I see. So you can, you can use that spectrum for other applications then. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. So, yeah. So what we're doing now, so 4G is really the kind of the main foundation for IOT today. Um, You know, when you look at IOT, a lot of it's small data plans, just, you know, one meg a month, five meg a month, 10 meg a month. When you look at the handsets that are all supporting 5G now, you know, they're talking download a, a movie and you know, 30 seconds or, you know, what, six seconds, whatever they're doing. So, yeah, it'll really free that up because on the 2G, 3G side, the handsets and the devices were all running on the same same spectrum. So I think it's a good thing and um, it's going to really help promote the industry. Yeah, yeah. And how, how do you think this will change or will it, the whole Internet of Things and the 5G and the various different applications have most of these applications appears seems to me have been sort of on a commercial side, right? Trucking fleets, other yep. assets they're tracking, 
supply chain, et cetera, management. Do you think some of these things will start migrating more into the kind of consumer end of things, applications that you and I might use on a daily basis? I, I absolutely do. And I think in the short-term future, you know, IoT is going to be that, that bridge that kind of ties everything together for everybody, you know, to the point where, you know, hypothetically, you know, you, you could look at your smartphone at the grocery store and, you know, be able to tell when that milk was transferred from the manufacturer to the distributor, what's temperature that, you know, I mean, you can go on and on and, you know, it's all valuable data. It's mm. just how do you harvest it and turn it into usable data? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole data analytics piece is, is, is a big challenge, right? We collect more data now uh, with just infinite amounts. It's unbelievable. And figuring out what to do with it and, and right. how to make it productive is uh is a, is a challenge for sure yeah there's a you know there's still a lot of cool solutions and devices and such that are being you know developed and and produced today um but i really do think there's going to be a you know a full-on transition where everybody will have access to that data down the road yeah but they're going to pay for it <laughs> you know somebody's <laughs> going to pay for it yeah yeah now, you said that you founded this business yourself, uh, and are you still running it uh, by yourself? Are you basically the, the, the boss, as they say? Um, you could say that. Yes, I'm here every day, and it's a never-ending thing. But, you yeah. know, and when you, really, when you really look at our business, though, you know, we have to work with not only customers in the U.S., but we have suppliers and vendors and, and partners in, you know, China, Taiwan, Lithuania, you know, Israel, all over the place, right? So it's not a, it's definitely not a nine to five job. Yeah. By any, by yeah. So how do you, how do you find, you know, having a, a successful company that's been around for a while, you guys have been around for a while, uh, that was, you know, founded uh, by one individual and that individual is still running the business, you know, 10 years later, 10 plus years later. Um, how do you, what are, what do you see as the challenges in sort of a founder led business? Um, you know, honestly, I think it's just being able to be engaged on a daily basis and, you know, really understand what's going on within the business from all aspects. You know, we have, you know, if you look at our business, I've got business units, I've got finance, operations, marketing, you know, engineering, you know, SaaS support, sales, We've got multiple businesses and within the business, business units, if you will. And, you know, I spend a lot of time walking around, talking to people, yeah. you know, looking at the inventory, looking at the, you know, the reports. And, you know, I would say that's probably the biggest thing any business, small business owner should do is pay attention. Because if you mm -hmm. don't, the de details will destroy you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, ma how many employees do you have now, Chris? Today we have a forty-three, I think. Oh, it's a good-sized business then. Yeah, we've uh, we've got people uh, in. We're headquartered in San Diego, which is where I am, which is the majority of the business for the you know the infrastructure side, and then we've got people in salespeople across the the country, and we've got some uh, um, consultants that are helping us with stuff around yeah. the country. So how, how have you found the challenges of having remote employees? 
You know, it's funny because before I always kind of, I was always of the mindset, you got to be in the office to, you know, have that interaction, know what's going on. I think COVID really changed the way everybody's going to do business now. And, you know, it's shown me that people don't have to be in the office. You know, if they're, if they're committed and, you know, they're doing their job, they can do it pretty much anywhere. And, you know, honestly, if we didn't have a big operations logistics, you know, function going on in our business, we probably would, you know, we'd probably have a very small office. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, people are just as efficient working remote as they are in the office. And, you know, furthermore, you can really tell after a while who's contributing and who's not. Right. Well, you can tell that whether they're in the office or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> right. But, I, you know, I do. I really think COVID's changed the way yeah. everything's going to go forward. You know, even face to face business meetings. I think, you know, these are, you know, Skype and, you know, video calls are going to be the norm. Yeah. Do you guys use any special set of tools for for either communications or, or project management, things like Slack or, or other or, you know, Microsoft uh, groups, et cetera? Do you guys use some of those tools? Yeah, we use Slack for the uh, engineering and operations and internal communication um, and then all the other basic you know, software tools yeah. that are out there. Yeah. On the video side, you know, we use Teams, but you know, we also uh, we also accommodate whatever sure. customers have vendors use. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Uh, yeah. So, you know, one of the questions, uh, you know, our listeners are predominantly entrepreneurs, uh, folks who are either starting businesses or have started businesses or thinking about starting a business, and one of the questions that I, I get a lot, and this is also when I was when I was a professor before I retired teaching entrepreneurship is is students will will ask or, or young folks will ask gee I'm about ready to graduate should I start my business now or should I should I go work for a larger company or you know gain some experience and then start my business and and your path you you went in the military right you so you were in the military for eight years and then when you got out of there you use some of that to help you get get uh, an education, additional education and stuff. So what mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about, you know, start it now or should I should I should I wait and go work for a number of years uh, in in the workforce and then start my business? I mean, I I would, you know, I think the standard answer is depends, but <laughs> I think at the end of the day if you're an entrepreneur, it's in your blood and you don't have to do it now, go get some experience, go, you know, understand what you're going to get into, but it's the best thing in the world. And, you know, if you, if you have it in you, go do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, you can make it work. It's just how much work you want to put into it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I always say, you know, Failure to me is not an option and it's not an option for me because I have four kids. Yeah. So, you know, my job is not only to take care of this business and the employees, but it's also to take care of my family. Sure. And, you know, it's, you know, and it's funny though, because my wife has a, a normal job. Right. And then, you know, she's always, oh, you know, why are you on the phone at you know 10 o'clock at night or weekend? I'm like my day, you know, it's, you have to accept that piece of it, but 
you know, the reward if you work hard and want it is, you know, it's one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think you're right on that. You know, it, it sort of depends, you know, uh, part, part of the advantage of going to work for someone is, is you gain experience and you make mistakes on their nickel, not your own. <laughs> right. And, and we're all going to learn from our mistakes uh, and make mistakes. And, and the, but the, the flip side of that is probably from a financial perspective, uh, unless you're really uh, imbur- uh, uh, burdened with student loans, you know, you're used to living a pretty meager lifestyle as a student. So, right. so starting a business, you don't need a lot of cash. But, you know, if you've got four kids and a house and a mortgage, all of a sudden walking away from that corporate job uh, feels a little more daunting and starting your own business. Oh, no, it's scary. It, you know, you, you know, we joke around here and say people have the 115 disease in the corporate world, meaning they get a paycheck on the 1st and the 15th. And, you know, we don't. We yeah. have to, you know, there's no magical checks that pop out of the air, right? It's it's all earned and, you know, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it, it you know, I think this is, you know, one of the best times in our, you know, in the technology space that we're in right now. And, you know, if you're creative and you're willing to work hard and put in the time and, you know, make those sacrifices, you know, it's on you, right? You, you control your destiny. And that's one of the things that I really love about what I do is, you know, we're still small enough that we can go out and be creative and we can get things done, you know, faster than other people. Yeah. 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 So, uh, let me ask you one last question here. Uh, do you have, do you have a one or two or maybe three kind of words of wisdom or advice or lessons learned that you'd like to share with the audience? One of my favorites that I like using around here is you got to keep on keeping on, right? I mean, any decision is better than no decision because at least you can pivot and learn and, you know, you know, maybe get to the right decision, <laughs> yeah. right? But don't get, you know, paralyzed with fear about things. And sometimes you just got to roll the dice, right? Yeah. And you know, follow your gut, follow your instincts. And, you know, if you truly are meant to be an entrepreneur, you have those traits, yeah. right? And listen to, you know, listen to your mind, but also listen to your, your you know, your gut feelings. Yeah. Well, that, that reminds me of uh, my, my first job out of grad school was working for General Electric Research. And uh, I can remember my boss always used to say, Bela, just do something. Even if it is wrong, just do something. (laughs) Yeah. And that's sort of your point, right? Action is important. No action is not action. Right. right. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, I play, you know, that's probably my biggest strength is, you know, I think I can look at things objectively and with common sense and say, well, yeah, let's, you know let's roll the dice. What's it going to cost? What, you know, what's the risk? And then more importantly, what's the reward? Yeah. And, you know, go chase that shiny object because, you know, you got to chase them all and you'll catch one or two. Yeah. So, uh, I just thought of another question I wanted to ask you. So you have 40 employees. Uh, do you have any words of advice for, for handling challenging employees? You know, it's, um, it's tough right now with, you know, we're in California, so, you know, you can't just replace people, especially with COVID. 
Um, but I also believe if they're challenging, if they're a challenging employee, I failed somewhere or their manager has failed somewhere in training them, you know, mentoring them, giving them, you know, giving them the chance to correct those actions. But, you know, when it comes to terminating people, you know, I'm a big believer in if you're getting terminated, you know, you're getting terminated. <laughs> you know, it should not be a shock to you. Right. You know, especially if you've been given all the opportunity and chances to correct, you know, the behavior or, or you know, your ethics, your yeah. work ethic. Yeah, very good. That's so, good. Good, solid advice. Well, hey, but, Chris, go ahead. I'm I sorry. Also will say, I also will say this over real quick. Be slow to slow to hire and quick to fire. Yes. Right. Because if somebody's not contributing or pulling their weight, you have to identify that and you have to do it not just for the company and the business, but for the other employees that are right. watching that behavior and then having to pick up the slack for somebody. That's right. So, Everybody in a small company knows who's pulling their own weight, who's not. And, oh, yeah. and they're all watching how the boss is handling that because mm -hmm. you send a very direct message by the way you deal with that. Yeah. I think that's real important. Uh, well, those are great parting words, Chris. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. You've been a wonderful guest. Um, Thanks. I really do appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Bela, that was a fascinating interview. What struck you most about your conversation with Chris? So I think a couple things uh, jumped out at me. Uh, one is that uh, with this Internet of Things, we're collecting all sorts of data. And we're collecting data all over the place. Like even in your example in, earlier where you were talking about your house, uh, if you wanted to, you could record all of that data. You could measure the temperature in your house. You could do all sorts of things. Well, take it, take it a little one step further. For example, uh, I put my venture capital hat back on. Uh, we have an investment, made an investment in a company that fundamentally does Internet of Things uh, data collection for trucking fleets. So not only can they tell where the trucks are, but they can tell how fast it's being driven, uh, how the driver's performing. In other words, is the driver accelerating slowly and, and, and touching and decelerating slow, slowly? Or is it more like a 16-year-old you know, driver where they stamp on the gas and then they stomp on the brakes, which, of course, impacts the maintenance of the truck? Uh, they can also tell things like monitoring the temperature, of the truck, et cetera, of the engine and the engine oil and the transmission oil. And they've gotten to the point where they can pre not predict failures, but say, hey, you know what? Uh, this truck, you might want to have them pull into a service station and have the guys check the uh, oil filter because the oil pressure is going up or down or whatever, right? It's, it's getting out of spec far before the sort of lights turn on uh, for the, the driver. And actually, this information that's being collected on the truck is being transmitted to a central um, facility where people monitor it. And they'll call up the driver and say, hey, you know what? We made an appointment for you to go into this service facility while you're on the road to go get the truck checked out. Uh, because you can imagine when trucks are late that are shipping goods and goods, that's a big penalty for the trucking company. So. The point is they're collecting all sorts of data. The challenging part is what to do with this data, and, and that continues in all sorts of things. But the Internet of Things has enabled us 
to start collecting all this data. We quite haven't figured out what to do with it all, but we're collecting a lot of it. Uh, so it's both a big challenge and a big opportunity. And I think we're actually going to see a lot of companies kind of prop up or come up that are, are analyzing this data and sort of doing data mining and sort of understanding how, how to use it. Um, but sort of at, at his business level, I think what really struck me was this sort of subscription model that he has uh, for his business. We haven't had a lot of guests who have had subscription models. Uh, and I think that subscription models are really interesting. Uh, you know, for the company, for his business, of course, the, the challenge there is sort of higher upfront capital costs because in a subscription model, uh, you, the company, are paying for any capital. So the su subscription model is the same for tip your typical cell phone plan that you have, right? You get the cell phone for, not for free, but you pay 20 or 25 or 30 bucks a month. That's tacked onto your bill. Um, but you don't have to spend the eight or $900 up front. But someone's spending that eight or $900 up front, right? And, and so he has higher upfront capital cost. So as a young startup business, subscription models are challenging because you have to manage your cash flow. And we have this problem with this company I was talking about that we deal with fleets, trucking fleets, where we're installing you know, $800 worth of equipment into each truck but we're not charging the company for that. It's built into the annual, to the monthly subscription fee, but our capital costs in this business are high. So we have financing that does that. Um, but the good thing about a subscription model from the company's perspective is once you hit sort of this certain critical number of customers, the cash flow is great <laughs> because the, the, every month you're just getting this big influx of cash. Uh, so once you get over that threshold, so the early years are really challenging. The, the, the beginning can be very challenging and difficult, and you'll probably have to figure out some sort of financing. But once you get past a certain number of customers, sort of the subscription model is wonderful. And from the customer's perspective, it's great because there's no upfront capital cost. You get a monthly bill. It's predictable, right? So as a customer, you know what your bill's going to be every month. And it, and it works really great. And the supplier takes all the capital risk. Um, so I think it's something that, that's becoming more and more popular, these subscription service models. Um, we're, getting them to, we're seeing them crop up in various different places. Uh, but I think it's sort of uh, going to grow. And I think it's a sector of the, of the economy that's going to continue to grow. Yeah, anything with hardware and software bundled together, Bela, this is always a really interesting contracting tool that entrepreneurs can use. And I was talking to some of my students about this actually just two weeks ago. Um, and creative contracting can be a really important tool for entrepreneurs that are just starting out because you want to conserve that capital for the things that you really need, usually customer acquisition costs and things like this. So as it turns out, when there's a, a some sort of hardware purchase, right, some sort of asset purchase that needs to be made, it's, and especially if there's a service associated with it, it's worth trying to negotiate um, smaller upfront costs and larger monthly payments, okay, if that allows you to conserve your cash, okay? And maybe it's, you know, renegotiable after one year or two years or something like that. But that's really a nice way to maybe you're paying a little more for that that luxury, but you might not be able to go get credit essentially, right, from a, from a, a, a traditional lender. Um, but you may have a vendor that would kind of 
give you that credit in the sense of, oh, well, we'll give you the hardware that you need here, the equipment you need for free, as long as you sign up for this, you know, this, um, this, this monthly fee, right? That, that's an annual package. You have to be careful and do the math, but it can be a really nice way to conserve capital. Uh, for entrepreneurs, you got to compare apples to apples and you got to look at the at the net costs and and how much you would be able to borrow that money for if you wanted to borrow it. But it can be a really nice way to to conserve capital at the beginning of a, the startup. phase. It's leasing equipment versus buying equipment. Right. It's that model's been around for many, many years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's sort of the same idea. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, Xerox and IBM yep. uh, made a lot of money in the old days leasing equipment. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. And it's it was a win-win, right? I mean, I, I think there are some people that made bad decisions and, and signed bad contracts, and you have to make sure you've got a good accountant to help you with this and a good lawyer. Um, but it can really be a win-win. It's a it's a win because the cust- the the customer the, the the entrepreneur is getting access to something that they need and doing it in a way that's more affordable for them and isn't going to risk their the cash flow of their business, right? Because I think, as you said in the interview. Uh, as Chris was talking about, it's this idea of you got to make payroll and you got to pay your rent, right? And if you've got more cash to do that, um, and you're paying this essentially installments, right, in monthly installments, it can yeah, be a, it can be a, a good way if you're smart about it, you know. And right now, borrowing costs are low, right? Interest rates are low, so it shouldn't be a huge expense. You got to watch out about the rates because if they go up with in, with, with uh, the interest rates, and if there's a big spike, you could be you could be left with something unpredictable. So you do have to be careful and talk to your lawyer and your accountant, but it can be a nice way. And these things are often negotiable and people don't always realize that. Uh, they can be good business models on both sides of the equation. And, and I think we often do not explore them as much as we yep. should uh, from a business perspective. And, and I think if you're a business owner uh, who's yep. selling equipment, I think giving your customer the option of either buying it or in essence, a subscription model is a good thing because different customers, uh, you know, I can remember periods of time of working at a business where we had lots of cash and we wanted to buy capital stuff (laughs) because we wanted to get rid of the cash and reduce our profits for that year because we knew we were going to need that equipment in the future. So why don't we buy it this year? So it reduces our tax burden and our profits. Uh, And then there's other times when cash is really tight and this notion of being able to do a monthly payment is much more attractive. So listening to your customer and what the customer wants and needs, not just from a product perspective, but helping them figure out how to pay for it uh, that makes sense for them, I think is something we often overlook uh, as entrepreneurs. We, we set our price and we say that's what it is and, and we're sort of rigid about it. But having different sort of purchasing plans Ways that people can acquire your products, I think, is really uh, an element that we often overlook. Yeah, and it's so many times, you know, this is the difference between B2B, business-to-business sales, and B2C, business-to-consumer sales. So, you know, yeah, when you're selling B2B and your clients are other businesses, I mean, it's not like, you know, you can't apply the same model that works at Walmart, where you're just assuming that you've got millions of customers and you're giving them all the same deal, an identical deal, because you don't have the time or the ability to customize things for each of your 17 million customers every day, right? But in B2B, you have typically a smaller number of customers and they're more diverse. No two customers are the same in the B2B space. One of my friends has uh, told me again and again who who works in this area, right, that no two customers are the same. So no two offers are usually going to look the same. Whereas, right, a a tube of Colgate toothpaste is going to be the same price, right, for the first customer of the day and the last customer of the day. 
Okay, but in the B2B space, you might want to design different ways to to buy that or to pay for it, you know, pay per use, whatever. Uh, so there's room for creativity there. And great companies that are great B2B companies have figured that out. But a lot of times entrepreneurs that are selling B2B, they haven't quite gotten to that yet. And they don't realize that uh, or or a big company that's used to dealing with um, with large companies, they're starting to sell to startups. They don't realize that startups have different needs. Yeah. So, yeah, really interesting thing. The other thing that really struck me about the conversation with Chris was that he talked about upgradability. And when you've got a subscription model, you can be care if you're careful about it, you can see that, oh, every X number of years, they'll refresh the equipment, right? So if you were buying it, you would have to buy new equipment. But in a lot of cases, they'll either at a heavy discount, right? They'll buy back your old and give you your new or for, as part of the contract, they'll upgrade. And so in something like technology, where there's this kind of um, degradation over time of the, of, you know, of the technology, you can, uh, you can essentially get a fresh a fresh view. It's like the phone when they always upgrade your phone. If you think about it, the consumer side, same thing on the B2B side. New phone every two years. Well, yeah, we'll give you new equipment every two years if you pay this rate. And that's got value to some entrepreneurs as well. who don't, They don't want to worry about, are they up with the latest technology? The service provider takes care of it. So I think that's a neat. I was just going to say one thing, Mike. That upgrade is not only often good for the customer, but it's also good for the supplier because they're not having to support all these different versions of the products out there. So oftentimes they're motivated as well to sort of get rid of the old generation of stuff that's out in the field and replace it with the newer generation of stuff because it cuts down on their service cost, their, uh, their sort of ability and need to support various different versions of hardware and software that's installed out in the field. So there's pluses on both sides of that that we should think about. And I think one of the things about having Chris on the show is that it's highlighted this notion of there's a lot of things that are beneficial to both the customer and the supplier and making them work in harmony is an important thing that you can do. Yeah. And sometimes as the customer, you just have to ask, right? Sometimes if you ask, Hey, well, you know, I think my stuff's getting old and I, I think there might be some benefit for you for getting me up to the next version. What would that cost? Right. And they might say, geez, you're right. Right. You're right. right. Let's do this and I'll, let's give you a good deal on it and right. get it done. All right. And that happens. Absolutely. I've seen that happen. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Chris himself, because that was a really interesting story with kind of his military background, how he came to be an entrepreneur. You know, what was your sense of, of the really interesting takeaways from this, this part of the conversation? So I, th I thought it was interesting. You know, he spent he talks about his, his military uh, career. Um, and, and sort of, you know, he really learned, and he talked about this a fair amount, sort of attention to detail. And that one of the things that's really important as a business owner is attention to detail. And, and the way I look at that is someone in the business needs to pay attention to the details. So if that's not in your makeup, then you better hire somebody who, who does that. Uh, and if it's in your makeup, then great. Then you can pay attention to details. But he really talked about that, like the details will destroy you. Uh, and understanding those things, I think, is really important. Uh, I think the other interesting thing was he wanted freedom, right? He wanted to control his own destiny. Uh, and, and he wanted to go where the market is going. He, he wanted to react to it quickly. And this is what traditionally small entrepreneurial businesses are really good at. This is where you can beat the larger companies every day. Because their decision-making process, the decision-making process in the larger company 
is months, if not years long. And as a small company, you can react to what's going on in the marketplace. And I think that's the key here, the key advantage that small entrepreneurial businesses have every day. And I think uh, Chris was really focused in on that, and, and he understood that, and he understood that that was an advantage to, to sort of his business. Totally. All right. I thought that was just a really cool, his whole train of thought on that was really fantastic. Um, let's talk about kind of the, the, the time frame that he looked at too. And he really talked about kind of the first few weeks you asked him, which was a great question in the first five years. Um, let's, is that something typical that you saw in the VC days? Um, is that something that all entrepreneurs should expect? What's the best way to deal with it? What were your thoughts on kind of that? Why, and Oh, my other question. Well, why do, why do people like Chris make it and other people don't? Yeah, well, the, the last part of your, the second half of your question is the, t the tough one. <laughs> I'm not sure I have an answer for that or, or even some good uh, relative thoughts. Uh, but I think starting something is some, starting something new, I think, is always a challenge, right? It's always tough or often tough. Uh, and, and this is, and starting a new business or a new endeavor is, is, is no different, right? You, 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 and, and when you're starting something, I like to compare and contrast things, right? So there's, there's starting a new enterprise, starting a new business, right? You're worried about things like cash flow, paying bills, getting payroll paid, you know, selling products to your customers, right? Those are your worries, right? The attention to details, like Chris was talking about, um, and, and, and when you're running a, a small business, that, that's what you're focused on. When you're working for a larger company, you, someone else is wor worrying about making payroll and paying the bills, right? Th those are not your worries, right? You have less freedom uh, and you're not in control, uh, but you're not worried about whether you have to make payroll. You're not worried about trying to find customers unless it's your job to be in sales, right? But typically the worries are different. And, and the challenge is when you're an employee in a larger company, uh, you have less freedom. You're not, you're not often able to make decisions about products or services or customers. You know, there's, there's sort of processes you have to follow. Oftentimes your voice is not heard, or at least you feel like your voice is not heard. Your opinion's not important. So I put these into two different piles and different individuals deal with these things uh, better than others. Right. So figure out what works for you. Figure out the parameters that you're comfortable with. And I think that helps you decide whether you want to be an employee or whether you want to be an entrepreneur uh, or a business founder or an enterprise founder. Um, so I, I think it's always challenging in the beginning. And again, with Chris's business being in this subscription model, he has sort of this added pressure of how do I find, cause he's do actually financing his customers purchases <laughs> and, and how do I do that? Right? So there's these added cash flow challenges in a business like his, where he has to figure out how he's going to finance that stuff. Um, and, and why Chris is successful and, and others, you know, others don't make it, you know, there's a whole plethora of reasons. Some of that is luck. Some of that is timing. It's being in the right place at the right time and just starting something that was meant, meant to be successful at that moment in time. But it's always, it's always drive. It's always commitment. It's always attention to details. Those things are present and common in all successful businesses. 
They might not all be present in common in the individual entrepreneur, but they're present in common within the organization someplace. And if you're an entrepreneur, if there's a, if there's a set of skills that you're lacking for success, well, you better figure out how to bring them in into the business, right, with some other employees or partners, however you want to structure it. But they all successful businesses have those key elements. Yeah, great, Bela. And then you combine that with the fact that, you know, and he got these kind of personal and managerial experiences in the military. And then in his work experience, he saw this IoT space as something that was growing and complicated and companies needed help with it. Right. So we also, you know, if we go back to our opportunity recognition kind of conversations that we've had over the years in this podcast, both things happen at once. Right. He had these kind of personal characteristics and managerial skills that you talked about. And he also, on the other hand, um, saw a great opportunity to provide some services uh, that were needed in the marketplace. So it was a great it was a great conversation. And then I think the, the thread that ties all that together is you could tell that this was a guy that was passionate and loved about loved what he's doing. Right. He loves being an entrepreneur. He said it's like the best thing ever. Um, and, you know, it's scary. And he talked about that, which is great. Um, but he talked about the benefits, too. So this is a guy that uh, clearly loves what he does. And I really appreciate how well that came through in the interview. You asked him great questions and it really, it really came, came clear. So that was a great interview. And I, I learned a lot, which, you know, it makes my day when I can uh, learn something really interesting from a half an hour interview with, with somebody that I never would have met on my own. So Bela, I think we should wrap it up. What do you think? I agree. Yep. Let's right. wrap it up. All right. So listeners, thanks as usual for joining us once again. And we hope that you found this episode interesting and thought provoking. If you have questions about what we've discussed, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And Mike, uh, I don't know if you heard it in the background, uh, but there was a little bit of noise uh, going on, and that's because uh, the lawn is being mowed uh, outside of our house. So if there was that noise that you can hear, uh, I apologize for that, but uh, uh, that's what happened here today. So uh, please do follow the podcast. If you haven't already, just hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app. And uh, until next time, signing off from upstate New York, where the lawn's being mowed. See you soon, Mike. But Bela, if the lawn's being mowed, that means it's warm and the sun's out after, I think, a long winter there in upstate New York. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. All right. Enjoy. That's it from over here in Munster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen.